This is the Science of Sex, a podcast about the ins and outs of the latest research about everyone's favorite topic. Hosted by Dr. Jana, a sex researcher and professor of human sexuality at NYU, and Joe Partavila, the guy who's a fan of sex. Here's Dr. Jana and Joe. Dr. Jana. How are Hello, you? Hello, I'm well. We are back for episode number 29 of The Science of Sex. Dr. Jana, I know you're very excited about today's episode. I am. It's a guy named Christian Joyal, and it's, it's we're going to get a little kinky, right? We are going to get very kinky. I yes. like that. He's from the University of Quebec in Canada, and he's been studying paraphilias or unusual or uncommon sexual fantasies, desires, and behaviors. So we're going to grill him on anything and everything about kink. You do drop that word paraphilia a Mm -hmm. lot. Could you give me a quick layman's terms of what that actually means? It just means an unusual or non-normative sexual interest, desire, practice. Okay, so what is an example of paraphilia? You can't think of one? I'm asking you. That's how we do things. I you, you I give you the questions and you, I serve you right it, up. It, it can be anything: uh, spanking, voyeurism, exhibitionism, okay. sadism, masochism, all sorts of fetishes. You know, right. People who are into feet and socks and <laughs> stockings <What>? and <laughs> boots and uh, I don't know lace. Is and there fur a socks and... fetish? Is it like oh, yeah. gym socks? Oh yeah. Yeah. What? Uh-huh. Really? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Some people are into dirty socks. Some people are into not particularly dirty there's socks, right. but socks. Cool. Yeah, so there's a something for everybody out there. All right. Yeah. So this sounds like this episode is not for the faint of heart. That's <laughs> what I'm, I'm feeling that, right? We might not go super deep into some of these. I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see how deep and kinky we uh, get. All right. I got to ask him about the socks. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I have something in my bag. Oh, God. You in that bag. You know, there's so many things in this bag. Yeah. I'm Hold afraid on. to ask what's in that bag, but go ahead. I am not going to tell you why I have this in my bag today. And I'm certainly not going to make you use it. Oh, God. Is it a plug? It is a plug. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Why are you carrying that you know? around? Because you, you know? mentioned- It's a butt plug. You mention that all the time. I do. You oh, do. I do like butt play. Now, who's that for? For you? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> that's, that's it. You just get to see it. Oh, okay. That's been washed, right? That has been washed. <laughs> right. Disinfected. Yes, absolutely. Very, very nice. Please, please put that away. <laughs> I feel very uncomfortable right now. Let's move on. <laughs> The science of sex goes deeper. So as we already told you all, we're going to talk about kinky, paraphilias, fetishes, unusual sexual fantasies, and so on. And our guest today is Dr. Christian Joyal, who's a doctor in neuropsychology, a full professor at the University of Quebec in Canada, also a co-director of the International Center of Comparative Criminology, an associate researcher at the Philippe Pinel Institute of Montreal. His main research interests concern the neuroimaging of sexual arousal and sexual deviance, the definition of normal sexuality versus paraphilias, as well as motives and origins of BDSM proclivities. Dr. Christian Joel, welcome to the Science of Sex podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. So tell us first, this is the question, a question that we usually start with, how did you end up studying this topic, unusual or uncommon sexual interests? It all began because I'm working at uh, Philippe Pinel Institute in Montreal, which is a forensic mental health uh, hospital uh, where we have um, uh, sexual aggressors and abusers and people with pedophilia and uh, so on. Mm. And the big thing is that um, in clinical settings, when we have to deal with uh, sexual abusers, we are always wondering about their sexual fantasies and whether or not they are so-called deviant or not. The thing is that we had no idea about uh, frequency of uh, those so-called deviant sexual fantasies among the general population. Right. So it's kind of hard to know what's deviant or atypical or uncommon if you don't have the baseline percentages of... Exactly. Right. And what is a red flag for, uh, let's say... Uh, a reoffending if uh, we have no idea about um, the frequency among the general population. Right. Now, in the latest version of the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, the Psychiatric Bible, <laughs> as yes, it's it often is. called, sexual interests are categorized as either normophilic, basically normal, or paraphilic, kind exactly. of anomalous. Tell us a little bit about how these are defined, how these are distinguished. 
Well, first of all, uh, it, it is the fifth edition of the DSM, and uh, for the first time, they introduced a new word, which is normophilic, referring to normality, and paraphilic, uh, which is was not normal. But paraphilia is any intense and persistent sexual interest other than sexual interest in genital stimulation or preparatory fondling with phenotypically normal, physically mature, consenting human partner. So this is the, the, the basic definition and uh, jury members, judges in court, uh, physicians, psychiatrists, psychologists, all over the place, we have to deal with that official definition from the APA. Okay, so normal includes any kind of genital yeah. and other... And fondling. The main goal is to have, um, uh, it's really based on religious belief and uh, evolutionary psychology and psychiatry, which says that if you don't have a coital relationship, like a man and a woman, a penis and a vagina, it's uh, not so normal. So it, 30 years ago, homosexuality was considered to be not normal. Mm. And today it's not that far because genital stimulation exclude uh, receptive anal preference for instance mm. so if you like it uh, anal sex receptive there's no genitals in, include other uh, in, in the other hand if well you, there's genital include on one end of yeah the partner yeah, yeah exactly but not the other <laughs> on the other hand what you can see is you can you can have a 40 years old uh, or 40 something man like me uh, being with a 16 or 15 year old uh, girl who is physically mature, uh, phenotypically normal, and consenting, and this is normal. What's the age of consent in Canada? In Canada, it's 16 years old. It's in 16. Ireland, it could be 12. In Oof. France, I think it's 12. So it depends. Yes. So in Canada, it should be 16. But still, me, 46, with a girl 16 years old, no problem. But if you'd like an anal sex, it's <laughs> different. So I, wow. I'm totally, I, 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 I don't agree with that kind of definition. Of right. I, I think we can tell that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Right. But so basically anything that is not either genital, genital stimulation kind of or leading to that genital stimulation with a consenting adult, everything else falls under this yeah, and they give, paraphilic uh, it, it interest. It provides us with some specific examples which is even more surprising. For instance, undergoing humiliation, bondage, suffering, inflicting humiliation, bondage, or suffering. Those are uh, really specific examples of abnormality. For instance, there are others like fetishisms. And they just decided, like four guys actually decided that was not normal because it's not necessarily leading to uh, genital uh, stimulation or sexual uh, coital relation. Right. There's actually eight specific yeah. paraphilias or, or whatever you want to call them that have been singled out in this yeah. DSM-5. For, for unknown reasons. <laughs> so let, let's just list them so that people have a sense of what those are. Yes, the first, of course, that everybody knows is pedophilia. Right. So to be with um, a, a child, actually, it's not a teenager, but 12 years old uh, and under. There's also f um, fetishism, and they include um, female uh, undergarments, like uh, you can find in any Victoria's Secret <laughs> near your home. So this is not normal <laughs> if you prefer it. And there's also um, exhibitionist voyeurism. Mm. So the, the, you're looking at someone and unsuspected person doesn't suspect that someone is looking at her. Or mm -hmm. her. And uh, frotherism is uh, we don't have that kind of thing in them. Little cities, but in somewhere uh, like New York, there's a lot of people that they they, they are touching you in the, in the subway, for instance. Mm. Subways or buses, yeah. Yeah, total strangers, and so the fraternism is another paraphilia, and uh, you have sadism, sexual sadisms, and sexual masochisms. Uh, we just talked about. 
that right. earlier, and that's it. Um, that's it, right? We we got all of them. And then there is this like unspecified other. Yeah, because there's a there's like a lot a lot of sexual preferences among the general population, like and the list is going on and on and on. <laughs> you cannot have a, a, a you know a grocery list of everything. The point is here is that you 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 have to notice that main they are mainly criminal behaviors. And yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Why are these eight things singled out in the DSM and not some like, other ones? Um, I'm a professor, and when students are asking you questions, you don't know the answer. You <laughs> always say for historical reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember <laughs> that. But seriously, uh, it's it's really for historical reason. During the Victorian era, they decided that those were uh, abnormal, but like 300 years ago, uh, sadomasochism and BDSM was, was not mainstream. It was not like flagellation and stuff like that, but it was not considered a, a symptom of a mental disorder. Right. And after, during the Victoria era, they decided that uh, if you are not making babies, basically right. not normal hmm. so oral sex masturbation homosexuality anal sex you name it if you don't if there's no all baby, of those mm-hmm. it's not normal <laughs> for society and religion reasons that's it there's no scientific data at all right and but now well, masturbation yeah. and oral sex and anal sex and homosexuality they are no longer in the DSM-5. Yeah, it's a it's a matter of social and cultural and political reasons. Like uh, in states like Texas, I'm not sure if anal sex is is, is not still considered. Not anymore. They no, okay. they took that down. I think in '93 there was or '98 there was a but big it's case. Relatively recent. But yeah, in, yeah, in like Russia, 10, 15, instance, 20 years ago. In Russia, many parts of uh, Orient and Africa, it's not a good thing to be homosexual. No, no, uh, you can seriously <laughs> be. Yeah, you have to run for your life. Um, but it's it's totally uh, social and cultural reasons, totally, 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 and only. And the the reason, one of them, the, the example of this is that during the 50s and the 60s, scientists they were quite surprised to realize that homosexual, the people, uh, gay or lesbian or whatever, bisexual people, they were not different from heterosexuals. They were not less or more bright. They were not more stupid. They, were, <laughs> they didn't have more depressive or anxious uh, symptoms. And it was such a surprise. And today, we are realizing the same thing with BDSM practitioners. Right. I think it's important to make this distinction between paraphilic interests, desires, fantasies, right, psychological experiences of wanting or thinking about these things, and when it crosses into some sort of disorder. Uh, so let's just define for people what distinguishes the interests from the disorders. Well, this will hold true for any sexual interest, and this is what I think is the main point to be made here. No matter what is your interest, if it is causing distress, impairment to your work, like pornography on the web, if you are losing your job or your spouse because of your interest, if it's an obsession and compulsion, you have to do it several times a day, whatever you're, what you're doing, whatever, it's a problem. You have a problem, should consult a sexual therapist. Now, what is healthy is that if, if it makes you happy and you're a happy camper and uh, you like your life, whatever you're doing, as long as there's no victim, we should not care really. So that's the difference between a healthy and unhealthy sexuality. Right. So I think you've suggested this before, that this, this current category of paraphilic disorder yeah. should be replaced with a more inclusive category of yeah. disorders of sexual interest and doesn't matter whether it's a common interest or a non-common interest. Yeah, I don't care. We shouldn't care. And a professor from Columbia University, actually, the doctor and professor Kruger, um, <laughs> he's, uh, he was among the committee members for the DSM um, task force for paraphilia, and he replied to me uh, about that thing, and he said, I don't want to pathologize all sexual behaviors and i said to him i understand your point but it's not a matter of uh, pathologizing everything um it's like someone who is afraid of taking the elevator 
Um, I don't say to people that it's normal, not normal to take the elevator. The main point is what is the effect on you? Right. So uh, I'm not pathologizing like spiders. If you are afraid of spiders, you have a problem. Right. It's not the spiders, spiders that are a problem. Spiders has nothing to do with your problem. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> poor spider, you know. So it's the same thing with flogging, spanking, hitting. I don't, I don't care what you're doing. If you and your partner are happy, and consenting, uh, right? And, and, and of course, of course, it's, this is the difference now between criminal and non-criminal thing. Exhibition is voyeurism, pedophilia, zoophilia, necrophilia. The person or animals they cannot consent. It is against the law, and it's criminal. I don't know if it if it's um, um, pointing toward um, mental disorder or not. I don't know. Research is lacking about that point. What I do know, though, is that it's criminal, and we shouldn't do it. It's that's for sure. <laughs> now, as for the the thing that is not like fetishism, a lot of people they really like leather or or anything, mm. high heels and whatever g-string, if they like it. <laughs> And more than no G-string, and, and everybody's happy with that. Uh, there's no problem from a psychological perspective. So the the line should be drawn at either doing something non-consensual or being distressed at clinical levels or having your yes, life being affected yes. negatively by whatever it is that you're doing, regardless of whether we're talking about just exactly. regular vanilla sex or we're talking about flogging exactly. and peeing and whatnot <laughs> yeah and, and more than that presently currently people who are distressed by their for say let's say homosexual uh fantasies they are really mm. really distressed for their religious belief for instance mm -hmm. uh, we see it all over the place all the time they are distressed distressed and they have they are not recognized by the bible of psychiatry so if you are going to your insurance company saying, I have a distress related to my sexual life, but it's not in the Bible, so you don't <laughs> have a diagnosis. And it's, it, it happens much more than people who like rubber boots because they right. are not distressed. They like it. Yeah, it's, it's so funny how we've how messed up oh, it is. <laughs> this, this whole process is. So part of, of your research and several of the studies that you've done has been trying to get some data and establish what are some of these baseline percentages of what is an unusual sexual fantasy or an uncommon uh, sexual fantasy. Uh, so in, in one of the studies, you had about 1,500 Canadian adults rank a whole list of 55 different sexual fantasies and um, in order of whether they've had them and how strongly they, they have them. And then you kind of use those numbers to classify the different fantasies into into some of these more common or less common types of, of fantasies. So talk to us a little bit about the different categories that you came up with, how you came up with them, and what are some examples of different fantasies and interests that fall under each of these categories. And as you just said before, we are messed up because we are <laughs> not reinventing the wheel here. It's been for uh, like decades, like Master Johnson, for instance, they said that a lot of women, for instance, they have a sexual fantasy, which is not a wish, by the way. It's a fantasy, okay? Mm -hmm. It's just a turn on. <laughs> right. You don't want to. You don't wish to be raped, all right? But they have the fantasy to be taken sexually by force. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it's not new. It's, there's nothing new. That 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 the. the, the the only new thing is that we did it with a scientific standard. So it was a population representative. Our sample was representative of the population, and it was not only college students. Right. Uh, because we everyone's all, favorite we are subject. Well their sexual be their sexual fantasies of college <laughs> students. <laughs> but the general population um, from uh, 18 to 78 years old. What we saw the first question was. How can we say that a sexual fantasy is typical or atypical? Based on what? What is a typical sexual fantasy? Of course, sex on the beach and stuff like that. We can. We had a good guess that it was. It will be typical. But from a statistical point of view, we have a the normal curve, so we can base our uh, criteria on the normal versus less normal curve. And what we saw is that there are very few typical sexual fantasies and there are very few atypical sexual fantasies 
I really don't like the novel, but the title Fifty Shades of Grey was really good. It's we are all surfing in grey. <laughs> Fifty shades of everything. So we had like um three typical sexual fantasies. It was the same for men and, and women and it's uh, reassuring to to know that most men and women have um they put emotions and they put their lovers they are romantic, romantic settings in their fantasies, their sexual fantasies, the vast majority. They put it in, so we had like three sexual fantasies that were really typical. Like, And when uh, you say typical, you're talking about... Uh, more than 84% of the population. This is one standard deviation from the mean. Okay, 84% or more or of more. the people. So we had like 94 for for um, having sex uh, outside the bedroom, but in private, but uh, on the couch, for instance. Right. Wow. So that's kinky, Christian. No, that's uh, not kinky. I know. I'm kid- I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no kinky. But you know, Joe is a prude. About- Joe's never had sex with anybody except his long-term girlfriend, and they always have sex in in, in uh, missionary position in their yeah. bed and. Uh, Saturday night after yeah. the game. <laughs> All right, Christian, Sorry. you're not helping. <laughs> no, 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 it's so funny. And, and no, no, but so to answer your question, most of sexual fantasies out of uh, 55, there were like 48, which were not neither super typical nor atypical. It, it was in between, like um, fantasies of being spanked or spanking someone, or the the you know the stereotype fantasies for male to be with two female at the same time to have a threesome. Mm-hmm. And this is almost typical. Right. <laughs> so so it's it in, the, in the shades. So uh, we, we, we could say to them, the DSM that before labeling any sexual interest as normal, abnormal, or typical, atypical, let's check the general population because typical sexual fantasies, they are really rare. Talk to us about the rare ones. Which ones were rare? So you had the ones who were 2.3% of yes. people who mentioned them or fewer, you n- uh, named them as, as statistically rare. It was uh, be- it was stuff like catalogy, uh, like excrement, like uh, Poop playing, play. playing with feces. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, really rare. Um, uh, golden shower, not that rare, but still not frequent neither. Of course, with child. And some people from Germany uh, emailed me wondering if it was not due to the fact that in most in Canada and the U.S. Um, I would have to call the police if someone said that he was, uh, um, you know, uh, right. a child. But I'm, I'm not sure because even in Germany, it's not that frequent. Thank right. God. Um, the, the interest for child. So maybe I was at the lowest end because of legal stuff. But on the other hand, it was an anonymous. It's anonymous, but nothing is really anonymous. anonymous. Sure, sure, yeah. We understand that. So maybe people were just afraid to tell the truth. So, so I don't know the exact number, but um, with animals, with the cadavers, with dead bodies, it, it, that was rare. Right. So it, all of those are 2.3. And why 2.3 as the cutoff point? It's two standard deviation below the mean. Right, for those statistically, statistically minded people statistically, out yeah. there. <laughs> yes, yeah. very uncommon. Two standard deviations. I don't say it's abnormal, but I can say it's uncommon. And then you had a bunch. In between. In between. So there were the unusual ones, which was 16% or less, which is the one standard deviation. Yeah, right? yeah exactly, exactly. But if you think about some of these numbers, like 15% or, or fewer, something like 10 or 12%, that's much more common than, say, homosexuality especially exclusive homosexuality, right? Yes, exactly. Mm. Because there's a a myth going back to Quincy studies in in the 40s saying that 10% of the population is homosexual. It's not true. It's less than that. But still, we had 20% of our totally heterosexual guys who reported homosexual fantasies. And Mm. for me, it was a surprise. (laughs) Like 20s, it's one out of five. And I was surprised that, you know, sexual interests are much more flexible than I thought, Mm -hmm. not only among women, it's Mm -hmm. more flexible among women, everybody knows that, Right. but even among men, some people are totally heterosexual, I can't understand that, but there's again some shades and people are be curious or absolutely 
Yeah, some of my own research has been on the people who identify as mostly straight or who are mostly straight, yeah. right? Yeah. Who are predominantly attracted and interested in yeah. engaging with with other sex partners, but there's a little bit of interest. So exactly, exactly. yeah, yeah, I, we saw that clearly. How about the in- intensity of these fantasies, right? So it's one thing to say I've at least once in my life had this kind of fantasy, but is this something that you experience very often? Is it something that is very strong and, and how strong it is com- yeah. in comparison to some of these other like penetrative sex or something like that fantasies? Yeah. We included it because we we were trying to uh, argue against the DSM, if you didn't get it. <laughs> and, um, you really like the DSM. Right. It, it, I cannot believe that horror, but uh, <laughs> we will talk about... How do you really feel about it, Christian? Yeah. But, yeah, but we will talk later, if you may, uh, about the um, World Health Organization uh, next um their Bible is due to come out in August this year, mm. and it's totally different than from the DSM. Really, oh. it's, it's a lot, a lot, a lot better. The, the thing is that in the DSM, as a psychologist or psychiatrist or sex therapist, you have to follow the, the guidelines and the, the criteria to, to pause a diagnosis. And ab- uh, among the criteria are two things, is persistence and the, um, the intensity. Of course, they don't provide us with any scale to measure it. So what is an intense sexual fantasy? Right. Tell me that. <laughs> and persistent is, is three days in a row, three years, 30 years persistent? <laughs> right. I have no idea what persistent is. <laughs> so we tried to figure that out. So we add a scale from one to seven and ask participants to rate the intensity of every single... Um, of those 55s? fantasies yeah and we saw with that kind of stats analysis we can ha- we can come out with subgroups of people which are not mutually exclusive mm-hmm. it's really really important based on what based on not only the nature but also the intensity of each of their sexual fantasies so that's the main point because what everybody do with parametric so-called parametric stuff they exclude people. So if I have a fantasy of making love on the beach and a fantasy of whipping, flogging, whatever, someone, I will be in one of two exclusive groups, you know, the, right. the, the kinky or the non-kinky, non-kinky right? With our staff, we included people where they belong. It could be in more than one group. Right. And that's the, the main point. It's not because you have kinky fantasy, then you don't have a non-kinky fantasy. Uh, so that, that was a first. Right. And so you found that basically yeah. the vast majority of people who did have kinky fantasies also had non-kinky fantasies, exactly. right? Exactly. But there are, as anything in life, we there are also extreme groups. Mm-hmm. They not only have only very kinky or even edgy sadistic in this, the, the bad sense of the term, but it's all, also very intense and they don't have non-kinky fantasy. Mm. What so percentage th- of the population fell into that extreme group that only had these intense kinky uh-huh. and not non-kinky? Exactly. But, so now could you, I guess you can see the importance of measuring intensity. Right. If you have a few fantasies and they are very intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now for me, it's a red flag. And what percentage of the population fell into that? Five. Wow. Small. Yeah, right. but they, these are the less happy. These are the less happy. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are, there are no happy campers. It's like almost obsessional, and they are thinking about stuff like blood, like uh, having the other person, you know, her, be being hurt. They don't act out, but it's it's pretty, it's, it's more creepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but. The, the the main point was the the most uh, happy campers were the, the were those with the most diverse sexual fantasies. So that's the key to be happy. <laughs> it's not to be kinky, non kinky. It's to have many fantasies, and they are more intense. But you have a variety, and they were more um, prone to healthy sex. Of these fantasies, are any of them dreams? Because you know how sometimes people have like kinky dreams, but it's not something they've never really fantasize about. Do you mean daydreaming or real? Uh, like dreams in your sleep, yeah. In your sleep, it's totally different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and in dream, 
dreams and your sleep depends a lot of what you just uh, felt today or yesterday. If you are stressed for a um, job application, for instance, your dream will have a stress component, mm. stressful component. Um, in, in, in comparison, fantasies are much more stable. Mm. And you can have childhood fantasies or when you begin like 13, 14 years old, you can, you begin to have sex hormones all over your body <laughs> and you have fantasies. And at 50 years old, uh, uh, commonly you will have the same fantasies still. So really? Are, yes, they are the base, what we call basic fantasies. They are the first in and last out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. So you think people fantasize about the same Whatever paraphilic thing from like teens till like they're 80 years old? Well, there the are same fundamentals. There's a lot of layers. Like, for instance, BDSM practitioners, they, they, a lot of them, they had fantasies about BDSM, but some of them they didn't. But the basic, the more fundamental fantasies remain the same. For your life, and you can have another layer and another layer, and right. So some of these things can get added or taken out, but there are some that are pretty stable. It's it's really nice because, and the more you have fantasies, and the more you are open-minded, the more you are happy. So it's the opposite of what Freud said, and a lot of people in psychoanalysis, they they used to say, if you have fantasies, it's because you don't have a sex or you are, you are frustrated, <laughs> and mm. it's the exact opposite, actually. Now, where'd you get that, though? I'm sorry, about how do you know that they're so happy if they have so many fantasies? What is? Oh, it's not so many. It's yeah. like everything in in life. Uh, uh, too many is not better than oh, okay. not enough. It's the the the, the main point is um, you know to be in 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 between in the fifty percent. But when we ask people, the the we had six groups as a, I think I said one of the groups, the group number four, was mainly uh, formed with females, with who had both kinky but mainly BDSM and mainly submissive fantasy, really submissive, and paired with uh, totally typical fantasies when they asked not if they were happy in their life, but if they were happy with their sex life. Mm -hmm. And they were the most happy of the six groups. The people with more varied sexual fantasies seem to have greater sexual satisfaction. Yeah. You don't have to be varied to be happy in life. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you're happy, don't try stuff if yeah. you're happy. <laughs> I was going to say, Doc, I was feeling good about myself until we started talking. The, these are just no, general happy, patterns. Yeah. Why well, fix it uh, when it ain't broke? <laughs> exactly, exactly. If you're happy in your sex life, just keep doing yeah. what you're doing. But... Yeah, you're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> right. I feel like I should run through your list and see what fantasies I should pick up on or something. <laughs> Yeah, it would be uh, BDSM fantasies are really, really popular. That's the reason why such a bad novel like Fifty Shades of Grey sold more than uh, Harry Potter. Clearly, yeah. Because the author, uh, she put her finger on something really interesting and the big, big, big difference between fantasies and wishes, especially for women. It's, 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 it's something is running in your head and it will stay in your head and it's okay like that too we are talking about fantasies don't forget folks mm-hmm. not all of the fantasies that people have are things that they actually want to do in real life no right? it's the opposite actually especially for men men is always more simpler the brain is simpler <laughs> and everything is simpler we have the fantasy to be with two women of course at the same time actually it's a wish <laughs> right but, so for men if they are fantasizing about something chances are they want to do that in real life and the only reason they haven't done it is because they haven't had the opportunity to right, do it. Exactly, and that's the reason why at uh, Forensic Institutes we are working on the factors that will differentiate people will act out because a lot of men mm. have rape fantasies and of course the vast majority they, don't, they are not rapists but right. what is the difference what would make you a rapist and this is really interesting but it's another story right. for women mm. when they are reporting fantasies and it's really important for um, practitioners i mean like psychologists if you have a client saying that she's um, not dreaming but she's fantasizing about being forced to have sex don't take it like at the first level it, mm. she's not wanting it it's only a turn on and i don't know why but it's really common
Yeah. So this is a good place to talk a little bit about some of these gender differences, especially when it comes to these sadistic or domination versus masochistic and submission fantasies. The popular view or notion is that basically men are the dominant ones and sadistic ones and the women are these submissive and masochistic ones. What are some of these studies finding? Yeah, I was a little bit disappointed because it's not only a myth, but we found the same thing, um, that majority of men who reported BDSM fantasies, the themes were about dominance. And for the, and the, the opposite for women, it was more about the submission. That being said... So there is a gender difference. Men are more into sadism and domination than yeah, women, and are, women are more into masochism and yeah. submission than men. That, but yes, yes, the answer is yes, and I saw it uh, in almost 25 studies. It's all over right. the place. It's, I don't know why. It's social, cultural, yeah. biological. I don't know Probably why. Probably a mix of both. It's a fact. It's a fact. That being said, I was really surprised to see the super big correlation. It's an association between both kind of fantasies. It's that people, men and women, when they have submissive fantasies, they also have domination fantasies. Mm-hmm. They are less intense. But it's, it's, it's not only um, like domination versus submission. It's more like the Europeans say, sadomasochism in, right. sadomasochism in one word. Right, right. They go it's together. Not it's mm-hmm. not separate. There's a concept behind this, below this. Uh, I don't know. But they, there's a strong, strong correlation between both types. Yeah. Right. And I, I do want to point out another thing that kind of goes uh, against this. All men are like this and are, all women are like this, even though there clearly is a gender difference, as we, as we said. Yeah. There's still also quite a few, like a, a significant number of men who have masochistic and submission fantasies and a, a fair number of women who have domination and, exactly. and sadism fantasies as well. Exactly. I think if, if I can read some of these numbers, because very often people are like really surprised uh, from one of your studies, masochistic desires were reported by 28% of women and 19% of men. Exactly. And um, sadistic desires were reported by 10% of men and 5% of women. Hmm. So exactly. it's not like... <laughs> No, no, it's not black or white. Right. And we are in Fifty Shades of Grey. But um, <laughs> um, the, not the, 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 not the, the book. book no, course. no, no. The, I will say that we are working now. Um, I'm, I'm conducting a study, especially on BDSM practitioners. Mm-hmm. After those results, I, I, so I, I wanted to go to the point. And we have um, now results from more than 400 practitioners. It's really, mm-hmm. really interesting. And some of um, the, the, the men who are really submissive, it's not a myth. They often have really stressful big shot job on their mm. daytime life. And they just want to relax and let it go right. in, in their sexuality. And some of women, the dominatrix, they, 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 they felt like that way since they were little girls and mm. they, they were playing bondage with their Barbie dolls. <laughs> it's tying them up, yeah. tying up the dolls. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's almost a, a, a trait of personality. It's, it's totally into them. And when I ask, why are you into it? It's like asking someone, why are you heterosexual? Right. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was made that way. And those are really, really interesting. It's not the majority because there is a lot of switches among uh, approximately mm-hmm. 30% are switching between dominance and submission. Mm-hmm. Those who are really into it, there are many men too, uh, like a significant minority of men in, in, in uh, submission and a significant minority of women in domination. Right. They are only doing it. Yeah. Right, that is kind of the, the iconic image of the submissive guy is the very kind of high-powered executive yeah. or cop. It's almost a cliche or, at this yeah, point. Yeah. Who then every now and then wants to get bossed dominant. around okay. by, I, by I dominant women. Was, um, I thought it was a myth. I, I, I really <laughs> thought it was not true. Really? Yeah, but it is true. And the other thing is the level of education. I, I still don't know why, but people who are practicing BDSM, they are 
twice as much educated than the general population. Mm. And I still don't know why, but it's really fascinating. At least a bachelor degree for more than 60% of them. I wonder if that in some way is a luxury, right? The sexual exploration yeah. that you have time and mental energy and space to it's really engage in It's income. You have, it's <laughs> right. almost like a hobby. It's like some right. people decide to get a motorcycle or go skiing and some people want to be dominated. It's just... I know, I know, I know, but you can't play basketball. It's really cheap. <laughs> That's true. The same yeah. purposes because they, they, they say they do it to for mindfulness, yeah. uh, for trans to being in trans altered right. state of consciousness. You don't have to do BDSM to reach those states. People, it, it costs nothing to, <laughs> to, to slap someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, seriously. But they are highly educated right. and Caucasian. And Caucasian, yeah. right. Yeah. I think... You see that with other non-traditional lifestyles like open relationships or something like that. So I yeah. think there's something around this luxury of of sexual exploration that Maybe. is is av- it, available it, to you more if you have a higher you know higher education or yeah, yeah. I know we we don't have an answer, and I saw this is a point. Uh, the the luxury point there's also the the the, the open minding point mm. there's also the the capacity to um to like um which everything that is um symbolism so you already talked a little bit about sexual satisfaction for some of these different uh, kind of kinds of people or subgroups but w- some of these stereotypes or myths that are out there regarding people who are kinky and have these paraphilic interests is that they have been sexually abused as children and also that they are somehow mentally uh, less healthy as adults. And I know that both some of your research and other people's research on that has tried to address this, comparing the groups with or without uh, kinky desires and and behaviors on sexual abuse as as children and mental health in adulthood. What is the verdict so far? Um, Can I say BS on the radio? BS, yes. You can say bullshit. You can say (laughs) say whatever you want. (laughs) On our podcast, you totally can. Say what you want. Especially for the traumatized uh, children, because we actually addressed that directly that question in one of our studies, and um, the percentage, at least in Canada, uh, the, the the frequency or the rate of um, sexual or non-sexual abuse during childhood is exactly the same among BDSM practitioner, dominant or submissive. Uh, as our uh, general population. Mm. So it's really easy, it's bad science to look at a problem in a posteriori, as we say in non-French, after the fact, right. you are trying to explain it. So, oh, he's liking to be spanked. That will m- certainly means that he irritized or she irritized right. her uh, past abuse. But right. this is armchair BS psychology. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <Okay>. Armchair. <laughs> Show me the data. <laughs> right, so the data really doesn't support that, that Not view. at all, because mm-hmm. imagine we, you have like the percentage of people who were abused during their childhood has nothing to do with the percentage of people who are practitioner, uh, serious practitioner and BDSM. So you can see there's not a causal link right, right there. There's not a causal link. And m- the vast majority, like 92%, uh, did not report any um, childhood abuse in our survey. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, but it's not a causal <laughs> link at all. As for mental health, it's even worse or better. better. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, some folks in the Netherlands, they were fortunate enough to interview almost 1,000 BDSM um, practitioners and um, 500 or so uh, people from the general population, same mm-hmm. age, same level of education, same sex, stuff like that. And they realized that not only uh, BDSM practitioners were not more prone to mental health problem, but they were actually uh, significantly little less than the, the general population. <laughs> so that makes me laugh a lot. <laughs> there are entire books and classes giving that this is a symptom of mental disorder, right. like arts dearest dsm5 and it's the actually actually it's the opposite right <laughs> they are more um stable in their lives and stuff like yeah. that less anxious less neurotic less depressed and since on and on so yes we there are more and more proofs 
of that and data scientific proof uh, the reason why the um, world health organization as i said earlier will um, announce a big news this summer so let's finish with that i think people in the in the us are very U.S. centric in many ways and uh, nationalist uh, is what some people say. No, no, I, I did not say that. Yeah. But they often don't realize that the world does not revolve around the U.S. So we do have the DSM five as the psychiatric bible here here in North America, but that is not the only bible, if you will, of uh, psychiatric di- diagnoses. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, the WHO, the World Health Organization, has another bible yes, <laughs> called the called, ICD. Exactly, International Classification of Diseases. And they have a new edition coming out now, and there are some changes in how these unusual sexual interests are being treated. So give us a little preview of what to expect. It's it's not only some changes, it's really huge. It's for the paraphilia Mm -hmm. uh, section. They um, actually led by the same Dr. Kruger from Columbia. (laughs) Imagine that. Wow. Changed his mind. Well, thank you. It's perfect. Only stupid people don't do that. Mm-hmm. He changed his mind and he said, well, you know what? After all, <laughs> in front of all the new scientific evidence, mm-hmm. and I was like, yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So a bunch of people, because of course he's not alone, they are right. contrary to the DSM where there are only five guys in charge of the paraphilic section. They are like 16 people mm. and they are not only men, they are women too, please. The DSM group had only men, five and men? Only four. You said four or five? What did you say? Repeat four that quick. people are in charge of deciding um, what is normal and not normal. And, and they're all men. And they are not necessarily old. They're not, not old. old. Okay, yes, yes. Old and... Yeah. yeah. And old, We're not ageist yeah, here, Doc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's, it's a disgrace. Seriously. Wow. I, I can't believe that in, in 2018. <laughs> Anyways, in Europe, uh, they knew better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and of course. decided that because that not only we don't have proof that uh, fetishism, sadism, sadism and masochism not only we don't have proof that those are signs of madness right but actually we have proof of the opposite right <laughs> so in front of that and because of the fact that they are included in paraphilia for religions uh, historical social and cultural reasons that's what they said in their paper mm-hmm. it was in the world psychiatry one of the best best scientific journal in psychiatry really huge and um, Reed and colleagues um, they said we had decided to remove them, those three diagnoses, from our Bible. Oh, and they're it, removing it them completely? Completely, like okay. homosexuality 35 years ago. Can you believe that? Wow. <laughs> it was about <laughs> so, damn time. So, yeah, but that, this is the, the, the biggest uh, proof that there's no science behind those decisions. Right. It's political. <laughs> so what remains in the ICD? Everything that is illegal. Mm-hmm. The Journal of Sexual Medicine, I don't want to brag, but they asked me last week to write an editorial about that. Nice. Look and, at uh, you. Uh, <laughs> You're a fancy said, man. He deserves that. Yeah. I just said the same thing. I said it's a good foot in the right direction. Mm. Still, why do you still call it paraphilia and why are you listi- listing some stuff we don't need that whatever you're doing if you're not happy you have a problem and whatever you're doing and there's no victim so consenting adults we we shouldn't see any problems so because it's not a criminal law book right i'm I'm not a lawyer so it it should be in in, in criminal law this is a psychiatric book so it's it, it, the two things are mixed up all that time, all that time. So that that would be the the good news, and I guess that the DSM five text revised, mm-hmm. will co- which should come out in two years, I guess, will uh, do the same thing. Will do the same, yeah. They very often kind of follow each other, and yeah. if there are some changes in one of them, then the next one will do yeah. the same so I thing. Guess it, I, for for sex therapists and in sexual sexology in general, it's a really really uh, good news. And as a professor, this is what I teach my students. Like, look at those reasons. You see, there's no evidence-based data here right. at all. No, I, I agree. I think your your proposal to just kind of have these disorders of sexual interest that are based on level of, of distress and or lack of consent is the way to go, regardless of whether these things are 
you know, com- as common as as vanilla missionary sex or as uncommon as, I don't know, dirty socks. Dr. John, I mentioned something about there's like some sort of a paraphilic obsession with socks. What's that all about there, Doc? Uh, it's, it's not. Um, what I saw is, was not only socks, it's dirty anything. It, it could be dirty feet, dirty underwear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the dirtiness, and it's like the summum. It's like being peed in the mouth. Uh, golden shower, oh. drinking the pee of the other. People are saying that it's the ultimate way to be submissive. But there's so something about I'm that looking, dirtiness, uh, right? Yeah, dirtiness of the other, not myself. Mm-hmm. So it should be the other. So please don't wash your feet mm-hmm. so I can lick oh, them oh. because I'm all yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you think about it, it is the ultimate or one of the ultimate ways of submission is and to... Humiliation. And humiliation. Right. To For be sub- And yeah. others, people, some people, they really appreciate to be humiliated. Right. But that would be for another podcast. Yeah, yeah we can't cover okay. everything. <laughs> well, as long as we got to the talk. socks, that's all I care about. <laughs> I will say, Christian, you seem like you really dig what you do. I mean, we've spoken to a lot of scientists. It's Christian, you thoroughly enjoy what you do, which is kind of cool. Yes, this is why they call me Dr. Joy. <laughs> I know, it's in your name. It's so unfair. I know, it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Joy. Yeah, it's funny. My In my name, there's a love at the end. Oh, yeah. Well, love, yeah, yeah I guess almost, so. Almost, yeah. almost. I'm looking forward to see you in Montreal, eh? So yeah, I will know, uh, definitely be there. Dr. Christian Joyal, thank you so much for being on the Science of Sex podcast. It was a pleasure. That's a cool cat right there. Yeah, that was quite enjoyable. I like that guy. I want to hang out. Joy. It was very joyous. <laughs> very it's very joyous. nice. So that we are coming to the end of the episode, Dr. Jana. So we uh, we covered a lot today. We did cover a lot today. Are you going to start exploring more sexual fantasies so that your sex life becomes better and happier and more joyous? I'll answer that on the next podcast. Okay. <laughs> which features this is your homework assignment. <laughs> yes. And who do we have next week? Next week, we have Dr. Dylan Selterman, who is going to talk to us about his new study on why people cheat. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I love how we run the gamut here. Yeah. We're talking about dirty socks and <laughs> S&M, and now we're talking about infidelity. I love it. It's yeah, good. That's the whole point of the Science of Sex podcast, to well, cover I- everything and anything that has to do with sex. And if you enjoy this podcast, which we hope you do, make sure you rate and review us. If you listen to us via iTunes, give us mm-hmm. a few stars, throw a comment in there. Mm-hmm. Also, send us messages. People are so nice. They were responding back to, you know, we did this the uh, sex question, Palooza. Yeah. People wrote us back saying, thank you so much for answering oh, the question. Yay. So feel free to reach out to us on any of our send social media platforms. more questions, because we are going to have another one of those Q&As coming up before the end of the season. They're not Q&As. Six question paloozas. That's correct. Yay. That's nice. <laughs> and we should mention your Patreon page before we go. Yes. If you would like to support our podcast and all the other work that we do that has to do with sex education, you can go on my Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash drjana, D-R-Z-H-A-N-A, and become a patron for any amount of money per month, anything from $2 upwards, and there's some nice perks and benefits and rewards that you may get for being a subscriber at some of these different levels but we will be eternally grateful to you for supporting some of our work all right dr john i'm gonna go do my laundry I and will- <laughs> dream up all of these new sexual fantasies to spice up your sex life but first i gotta wash my socks <laughs> maybe your partner likes dirty socks all right we gotta go her. bye <laughs> The Science of Sex is produced in New York City. To connect with Dr. Jana and Joe, follow them on Science of Sex Podcast or on Twitter at Science of Sex Pod. Subscribe now to listen to the weekly podcast. This has been The Science of Sex.